Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Hey, I am so glad that you're joining me on the podcast today, and this is going to be the wrap-up of the series on discernment, at least for now, and it will just be me um, as I share some things that I think are so incredibly important as we wrap up this topic. You know, Psalm 1 says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers the wicked are not so but they are like chaff which the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I love this psalm. I love it because of all the things that God is saying here. What he is telling us is that when we delight in the law of the Lord, when we meditate on his word day and night, we will be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. And when you think about it, what is a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water? What's it like? It's continually nourished. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and it prospers. There's so much that God is telling us in this passage. And of course, the contrast is there as well, that the wicked are not like that. They are like chaff, which the wind just drives away. One of the greatest joys of my own heart is to read and study the Word of God. We've talked about that a lot in these last few weeks as we've talked about discernment, how how we can, it, the more we know the Word of God, the more it keeps us, God's Word keeps us um, close to Him, and we're able to recognize when people are getting away from Him. And even though studying the Word of God requires great discipline and the stripping away of so many other things in my life, it is so worth it. I mean, think about it. There's nothing else that feeds our souls like the truth of God's Word. When we have doubts, that God's Word gives us assurance. When we are lonely, God's Word provides friendship. When we are discouraged, God gives us encouragement from His Word. When we're confused about things, God gives us wisdom. He promises to give us wisdom. When we feel like giving up, God gives us the strength to press on. When we're disillusioned or we're discouraged or we are even depressed, God gives us His perspective from His Word. So when you think of about those things, is it any wonder that the enemy of our souls, the evil one, Satan himself, would want to keep us from the Word of God? He knows that the Word of God reveals the very heart of God. It's through the Word of God that we get to know God. And of course, for me, 
I always want to open up God's word for my own heart, but I also want to be an encouragement for those women who listen to me. I want to be used of God to inspire you, to motivate you, to get into God's word for yourself. And I hope that that has been happening as a result of listening to this podcast. Isaiah tells us that the word of God, the word of the Lord abides forever. Peter quotes this in his letter when he tells us that we are born again through the living and abiding Word of God, and he makes no apologies about preaching the Word of God. In 2 Peter, the Scripture tells us that everything we need for life and godliness is through the knowledge of God. In fact, this is what um, chapter 1, verses 2 to 3 say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. I mean, think about it through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So when I read that, I see that there's this role of knowing God, that God wants me to know him. And it's such an important role in my life. He says that grace and peace are multiplied to me in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. I mean, I want grace and peace to be multiplied in my life. And that's only going to happen the more I know God and the more I know his word. And the scripture tells us here that he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How has he done this? Again, through the true knowledge of Christ. So in and in this passage, if you continue reading, you see this. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I mean, think about it. God has given us his precious and magnificent promises. So and, and, and where do we find those promises? Where do we find them? We find them in his word. And why did he give us those precious <coughs> and magnificent promises? That we might become partakers of the divine nature. And who has the divine nature? God. And we can partake of the divine nature of God through his precious promises. But here's the thing. So many of us don't know his promises. And why don't we know his promises? Because we really don't know his word. We might know what people say about his word, or we might listen to people talk about his word, but do we really know his word? And so here's the thing, you know, we, 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 we must know God. And how can we know God? God tells us that the way we know him is through his word. Paul tells us this in Colossians chapter 3. He says that we are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. And so as a believer, just for me, I have to ask myself, does it? Does God's word richly dwell within me? Peter exhorts me in this way. He says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So I have to ask myself, do I long for God's word? Do I really long for it? 
And why is this so important? Why should I let the Word of Christ richly dwell within me? Why should I long for the Word of God? The Scripture gives me the answer to that as well, that I may grow in respect to salvation. And how do I grow? By knowing and obeying God's Word. Knowledge without obedience means very little. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's quite another thing to do what the Bible says. God's Word calls me to obedience, and that brings me um, to this part um, that I want to emphasize, and that is to obey God. I know when I was doing the podcast with Kessid, she made the comment uh, about, I think I, I think you are the one who's, who always says this, obey what you know, and it's true. I do always say that because I think about John 14, 21, he who has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will show myself to him. God tells us that one of the uh, signs that show that we love the Lord is that we obey him. Knowing God and obeying God go hand in hand. James says this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, what James is telling us in that passage is that if we listen to God's word, if we read God's word, if we learn God's word, but we don't obey it, we are deluding ourselves. We think we're fine because we go to church or we go to Bible studies. We know a lot about God. We may even read the Bible and we gain knowledge and we think we're okay. But James goes further when he says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. James is telling us that if you listen to the word of God and you do not obey it, then you're like the person who's looking at himself in the mirror, sees a problem, but doesn't do anything to fix the problem. You know, have you ever walked into a bathroom at church or even in your home and you looked at yourself in the mirror and you realized to your horror that you've been walking around everywhere with your blouse unbuttoned or that you had been talking to people all day long with food stuck between your teeth and no one said anything to you or maybe you had lipstick on your teeth that seems to be what happens to me but you didn't know it but if you look in the mirror and you see it then you fix it you you know you wouldn't walk around with your blouse unbuttoned or with food but stuck between your teeth or lipstick somewhere or you wouldn't do that but if you don't have the knowledge there, if you don't see it, if you don't know it, then you walk around that way. And so that's what's the, why God's using this illustration. He's letting us know that the mirror doesn't lie to us. I mean, our friends might lie because they don't want to make us feel bad or they may not notice, but the mirror shows us the problem. Now, uh, we can walk away from the mirror and call the mirror a liar and say, well, that's not true and continue on with food in our teeth if we want or with our blouse unbuttoned if we want. You know, I remember one time getting home from church and catching my reflection in one of our mirrors, and I realized that the back of my dress was ripped. And what did I do? I immediately fixed the dress, and I was horrified that I had been walking around with a rip in the back of my dress. But as soon as I knew that there was a problem, 
I fixed it. And that's what God is calling us to do when we see truth in his word. James continues like this, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man is blessed in what he does. I mean, that's what the word of God is telling us. And that sounds exactly like Psalm 1 in whatever he does. He prospers. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. But there's also the kind of person who looks intently to the into the word of God, meditates on it day and night, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. God shows him his problem, and then he goes away making the changes that God has revealed to him. James says that it's that that a person who does that will be blessed. That's what he says. It's not the kind of person who looks at the word of God and says, "Well, that's not really what the word of God says." You know, God didn't mean that. That you know, I, I think about. Um, um, you know, our culture, our culture says this. So we'll we'll measure God's word based on the culture. No, the scripture is telling us that God's word is like a mirror and and he shows us our problem. And then we are to to look at God's word, fix and then see it and then make the changes that God reveals to us. And that's the kind of person that will be blessed. And of course, James first calls it the perfect law, and then he calls it the law of liberty. And you know why? Because there's freedom in obedience. Sometimes we think obedience will trip us up and that it's like a burden to us. But actually, obedience makes us very free. God's word is the is a mirror to our hearts. It reveals what's wrong there. It reveals who we really are. And sometimes that's why we want to stay away from the word of God, because we don't want to know uh, what's wrong with us. And sometimes because it's sometimes it's so painful to see who's really living deep down inside. But God doesn't lie to us. He doesn't lower the standard for us. God's word shows us exactly who we are. You know, God many times has shown me exactly who I am when I've studied his word. I can't even tell you how much God has used 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20 to reveal who I really am. I mean, the scripture says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. But what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? For if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. I mean, think about that passage for a moment. I remember one time when God seemed to really be piercing my heart with this passage, and I was having trouble with someone who I thought in my life was being unreasonable toward me. And so in my human uh, mind, I just thought God would understand it if I was just unreasonable back to this person. But you know, God always calls us to a higher standard. It's like through the, his word, it was he was asking me what was my conscience toward him because that's what the passage says here. You know, our, what is our conscience towards him? That's what he says, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God. So the question became for me is, well, what's my conscience not towards that person, but what's my conscience toward the Lord? So, because in this passage, God says it finds favor for me not only to endure with patience, but also to respect those who are mistreating me. He says to bear up even when I am suffering unjustly, even when it's not fair. Why? Because when you do what is right and you suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Does God understand? Of course he does. I mean, he tells me this in verses 21 to 25. 
For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. I mean, think about it. God uses his word to point out our sin and to help make the help us make the needed changes in our lives. That's what he does. Second Timothy three says it says this about his word. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So according to this verse, I mean, think about it. Why did God give us his word? To teach us. That's what he says. To reprove us. That's what he says. To correct us. That's what it says to train us in righteousness. Why? What's the reason for that? He tells us so that we may be adequate, that we may be equipped for every good work. Do you want to be adequate? Do you want to be equipped for every good work? But without knowledge of his word, we can't be. We can't be adequate. We can't be equipped for every good work. We don't know how to answer people. We don't know uh, how to give um, uh, the, the reason for the hope that is within us if we don't know his word. And how can we make the changes that need to be made in our lives if we don't know his word? God's word not only shows us where we fall short, but it shows us how to get back on track. And then God himself, through the work of the Holy Spirit, helps us obey. I just love that. I love that that's one of the the um, roles of the Holy Spirit. It's to help us obey. Now, think about this for a moment. You can't obey that which you do not know. If you do not know God's word, how can you obey it? Seriously. How will you know how to love your husband? How will you know how to love your children? How will you know what biblical womanhood is and how to obey the scriptures as it concerns your role as a woman? How will you know how to be sensible? How will you know how to be pure? How to be a worker at home? How to be kind? How will you know how to be subject to your husband? As Titus tells us, how will you know your purpose as a woman? How will you know God's love for you? How will you know God's thoughts and his heart toward you? And I have to tell you, I'm just really deeply concerned about women. That's one of the reasons why I've been doing this series on discernment, because women listen to so many of the wrong voices out there. I'm concerned about the effects our culture has had on our girls and continues to have on our girls, especially in the day and age in which we live, when when people who are in charge have turned everything upside down, when our government is, is teaching all kinds of horrible things in the government schools, when... Um, when people can't even answer the simple question, what is a woman? I mean, think about it. I, I'm concerned for women who have no clue about God's plan and purpose for them. And my heart's most deeply concerned about how many, how so many, um, how so few, I should say, Christian women really know God's word. That's one of the things that I've been saddened about over these last few weeks as I have listened to so many different quote unquote Bible teachers and podcasts. And I hear women who I thought were orthodox, but they're not. And they're questioning the word of God. They're saying things. It's basically they're slandering the word of God because they're trying to make it say things that it doesn't say. I mean, it's just really sad. We know so little of what we really need. You know, we just know so little. 
You know, so many things that the world is telling us are just lies. And the Bible tells us who the father of lies is. Jesus identifies the father of lies in John chapter 8. It's Satan. God calls him a murderer from the beginning. Jesus says that the devil does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. You know, in just these uh, last few days, I have watched the um, documentary called What is a Woman that Matt Walsh has produced or the Daily Wire has produced. And it's, it's so Sadden. I mean, it's really sad to watch it because this is where our culture is. But one of the things that stood out to me is how some of the time, you know, most of the time he's just asking questions of people. And and you have a college professor who got very offended because he just said he was trying to get to the truth. And the college professor said, well, I'm very offended by that, that you keep talking about the truth. Whose truth are you talking about? And, and you know, that because that's where we are as as a culture is that no one says that there is an objective truth. They say it's my truth, it's your truth, it's someone else's truth, it's just whatever you want the truth to be. And that we know is from the evil one because that's what the Bible tells us in John 8. The devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Jesus says whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because that's who he is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Then Jesus goes, on in that same passage and he says this but because i speak the truth you do not believe me which one of you convicts me of sin if i speak truth why do you not believe me he who is of god hears the words of god i mean think about that for a moment just in terms of where we are as a culture where no one wants to know truth anymore and in fact they say there is no truth i mean think about it But are we, as believing women, are we hearing the word of God? Are we listening to the word of God? Are we taking our our cues from the word of God? Or or are we taking our cues from the lies of this world? I mean, the way we're going to know God, once again, is through his word. And this is why the world doesn't want to know the Bible. They don't want to know what his word says because they know it's truth, but they deny it. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness is what Romans 1 tells us. Now, we won't be deceived if we've come to the knowledge of the truth. I just, I love the fact that as long as I stay close to the Lord, as long as I stay in his word, I have God's promise that I won't be deceived. He will help me. He says this in 2 Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. I mean, we're in these difficult times. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There it is again, the knowledge of the truth. So we have to ask ourselves as women, are we always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth? I mean, think about it. Jesus spoke in parables to the multitudes. And after speaking to a great multitude on the beach, he said this. I mean, God's word tells us this. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. I mean, Jesus told the disciples that they could know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven belong to them. God granted that knowledge to them, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And if you know Christ, then they belong to you. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying. We can know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But I have to ask myself, do I know them? God tells me I can know them. God says he will give me understanding. God tells me in his word that he is intimate with the upright. That is to those who obey him. He's intimate with those who obey. How can I know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? How can I find intimacy with God? I find it in his word. But God's people have not disciplined themselves to study and know God's word. Do you know the wonderful truth found in Deuteronomy chapter 29? You know, the scripture says this in verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So God reveals his word to us. And when he does, his truth belongs to us. When it belongs to us, when it really belongs to us, then it becomes the passion of our lives. We pass it on to our children. We pass it on to our grandchildren. And according to this verse, why does God reveal his word to us? That we may observe all the words of this law. There it is again, obedience. God gives us his word so that we will obey. Do you see how the real knowledge of God's word will result in obedience to God's word? How else will people know that you belong to God? But see, the average Christian woman is so casual in her approach to the word of God. You know, women like to discuss it. Women like to give their opinions about it, it, decide whether or not they think it's important. I mean, I've heard all of this in these last weeks, and it's just broken my heart listening to some of these women who have supposedly walked with the Lord for years, and they're throwing the Bible up for their own discussion and to decide what they think is important and how they plan to interpret it and what they think is is wise and not wise and what should be shared and what shouldn't be shared. It's, it's terrible in terms of the arrogance that comes out of so many of these women's mouths, giving their opinions about it, judging it, deciding whether or not they think it's important. I mean, picking and choosing what they will obey, depending on what they like about it or how they feel about it. I mean, that's such a casual, cavalier attitude. And I want to tell you, casual study produces a casual knowledge of God and thus a casual love for God. And picking and choosing and deciding what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe, that's not the mark of a true believer. You know, the amazing thing to me, and it really does hurt my heart, is how many women know so much about television stars and reality shows and all these people in the movies. They know so much about decorating homes and gardening and they know about clothes and makeup and shoes they know so much about so many temporal things and some of those things it's okay to know about them i mean it is it made me laugh uh last week i I think it was i don't know the podcast with cassid when she talked about um you know like just some 30 year old giving hairstylist and then i don't know you'll have to listen to the podcast because it really struck me that that's what women are more interested in about hairstyles and things that are so temporal rather than the true knowledge of god's word um 
you know, it's like, don't know how Isaac and Rebecca met. They don't know how many children Jacob had. They don't know the story of Ruth and Boaz so that they could tell it to their children without having to look it up and read it. Don't know about Michael or the story of Mephibosheth or Esther. They don't know about David and Jonathan or how God called Samuel as a little boy. They don't know about Abigail. They don't know about Rhoda, the little servant girl who recognized Peter and tried to tell the Christians that he was out of jail. And, and they didn't believe her. They don't know who, who remained at the cross with Jesus. And like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they can't stay awake to read the Bible. It just seems kind of boring to them. But they can stay awake to watch all kinds of, you know, binge watch all kinds of television shows. They can't get up on the Lord's Day to go to church, but they can hit the sale at the malls or, you know, online or whatever. You know, it's just sad how much we don't know this book. And so much that we do know, we twist it to make it say what it doesn't say. We don't know. We just don't know. It's like the book is fuzzy in our thinking. We're not sure about it. I think it says in here somewhere, but I'm not really sure. But we know so much of the world's foolishness. We know so much of the garbage that the media is feeding us. And we take our cues from, from some woman out there who's funny or who can tell stories or who's entertaining and throws a little Jesus talk in there. You know, but we don't know this book for ourselves. We meditate on everything but the law of God. You know, there was a time, and I've shared this story before, but I remember talking to a, a young woman and she was raised her whole life in the church. And I just remember um, telling her, or we were talking about the days of Lot. And, um, and I was talking about our, our nation and how it just seemed like we're living in the days of Lot. And I remember her asking me, well, who is Lot? And I thought to myself at the time, I couldn't, I don't know, I just couldn't believe it. But at the same time, because I'm an older woman and she was a younger woman in my life, I just went ahead and told her the story of Lot. And then I looked it up in God's word and showed it to her. And we walked through it verse by verse. You know, scripture tells us that God's people perish because of lack of knowledge. And, you know, even in that moment with that young woman, I wasn't aggravated with her. I just thought about how there's so much biblical illiteracy and, um, and people arguing with the Bible, but then even not knowing what's going on in the Bible. And that's the day we're living in, y'all. I mean, ladies, as you raise your children, please teach them the Word of God. Learn it yourself and teach it to them. Teach them the great stories uh, of, the, the, of the Old Testament. Talk to them about Daniel and about Moses and about Joseph and give them the truth of God's word. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. In fact, that's what the scripture tells us. It says, when your children ask, tell them, but you have to know it. You have to know the scriptures yourself. You know, Hannah says in her song of Thanksgiving that God had heard her prayer and had given her a son. And she said this, boast no more very, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. Proverbs 10, 14 tells us wise men store up knowledge 
Proverbs 9 verse 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 10 8 says, the wise of heart will receive commands. Proverbs 24 5 says, a wise man is strong. A man of, a, of knowledge increases power. And the scripture also tells us that it, it's the fools who hate knowledge. You know, Paul tells us in Romans about his own heart when he was talking about the Jews and how he longed for their salvation. And he said this, he said, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. I mean, do you hear what Paul's saying there, he's he's basically saying that people need the knowledge of God. And, and, and he's asking, basically asking the question, how can we subject ourselves to the righteousness, righteousness of God if we don't know his word? You know, so back in the day when my young friend asked, who's Lot? Yeah, my heart grieved, but it grieved not just for her. It grieved for the church, how there's a lot of people who seem to maybe have a zeal for God, but they don't know his word. And are we so stupid that we think the truth of God's word doesn't relate to the culture. I mean, that's the day we're living in. People are embarrassed by the word of God. I mean, Psalm 94 says this, pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. I mean, I want to tell you something, ladies. (laughs) You know, if your heart is not gripped by the word of God, you can't expect those around you, those who listen to you, you can't even expect your children's heart to be gripped by it. You know, if your heart is enamored and gripped by the things of this world, You can expect the same for those around you in your sphere of influence. You can expect the same in your children. So, yeah, you know, I think about all the children who are growing up today with no knowledge of God or his word. I mean, and so often we just think we can throw a Bible video at them. We can read a couple of, you know, even dumbed down Bible stories but I'm going to, but you know, you know, God's word never returns void. So I'm encouraged by that. But God wants us as his women to know his word and for us to pass it down. That's his method. Those other things can be a help, you know, but only a help. We are God's chosen method. You know, and God intends for our children to be taught along with their families at church. God's primary method of instruction of children is through the parents. I mean, that's what Deuteronomy 6 says. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Deuteronomy 11 says, and you shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, and I love the passage in Psalm 78 
when it says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel when she commanded to our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I mean, don't you just love that? I mean, that that's what God's word says. I mean, it's so clear from the word of God that that the word of God is supposed to be taught and passed down to the next generation. I mean, parents are to be the primary bearers of God's word to their children. That's what the scripture says, because children are supposed to be spending the bulk of their time with their own parents. I mean, and that's what, that's God's way. That's what God wants for us. You know, I love, you know, again, at Passover and Exodus, you know, um, God's word tells us that, you know, when he's talking to his people and he says, you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? What does it mean? And then the scripture tells us that the parents are supposed to tell them what it means. It's the Passover. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. He passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but he spared us. God is telling us that the children and our children will ask about the things which they see us do. What do they see you do? What do your children see you do when they come down in the morning? If you're already up, what do they see you do? I mean, they're going to ask you about it. Why are you reading that book? You know, what, what are you doing? Why are you listening to that? You know, why do we go to church? Why do we, you know, what's that little cup and what's that bread being passed out? And I remember one time when, when my son, my youngest son, um, we were we were sitting out at the dock in our neighborhood, and I guess him looking out at the water made him think about all the baptisms that he had seen in his life. He had seen the ordinance of baptism, and and I remember him asking me about it. He was just saying, you know, what does that mean when people go down in the water? And then, you know, another time at the Lord's table, he asked about it, you know, and, and I had to know how to explain those things, how to tell them, because that's a teachable moment. When your children ask, you tell them. You know, so so do you know the word of God? Are you able to tell them? And if you can't tell them to say, you know what? I don't know, but I want to find out. That's That tells me there's so much more about God's word I need to know. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's what God's word tells us. That's what he wants us to know his word so that we can pass it on to our children. Our children will ask and we are to answer them and we should know how to answer them. And God is supposed to be honored by our answers. And of course, this command, these kind of commands are not just in the Old Testament. There's so many passages in the scripture. Everywhere Christ preached, children were there. They heard the same message as the adults in that all-day ministry, which culminated in the feeding of the 5,000. God told us that men, women, and children were present. Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And then he turns the corner to the fathers, and he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So children, 
children are to be taught the Word of God, and not only incidentally throughout the day, but they are to be taught basic theology. That's, again, what God's Word teaches. And of course, in our day, it's like we've lost this because parents no longer teach their children. They're too busy doing too many other things. They don't know the word of God themselves and they don't teach it to their children. They just expect to take their children to church and hopefully the kids will get it. Well, the church should be teaching the children as well, but it's supposed to be a help to the parents. You know, we, and and as I read in that passage earlier about Are we just weak-willed women, weighed down with sin, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth? You know, I I don't know. There's just, I just think about these things so much, and it's, it's no wonder that we're not discerning. It's no wonder that we, we listen to people and we can't tell if they're a good person to listen to or not. We don't know. We just don't know. We get tired of hearing things from the Bible, You know, I want to know the Word of God. I want to know what His Word says, and I don't ever want to be tired of hearing it. You know, I I love that. I love so many hymns, you know, that I learned when I was a child. You know, like, I I, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I mean, I I think about the, the the hymn that says, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. I mean, I don't ever want to get tired of hearing the story of Jesus. I don't want to ever get tired of hearing his word read to me or, or memorizing it. I don't want to be that way. It's, it's in his book that we find his heart, that we find what he expects of us, that we find his holy standard, that we find how our own lives fall short in light of his commands. I mean, he's holy. He's perfect. He sometimes seems to require impossible standards of me. He seems to require require hard things of me. But at the same time, that's what the scripture says. I just remember when I was doing the, the podcast with Maureen and we were talking about um, 2 Timothy and how the word says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Do you want to be God's soldier? If you do, you will suffer hardship. A good soldier of Christ Jesus suffers that. But I want to be a good soldier of Christ. I want to be a good soldier I want to learn from him. You know, it's so good to learn of him. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he helps us in this world. He helps us as we suffer hardship. You know, that's what he um, that's what he promises. You know, God shows us so many things in his word. And I, you know, I wouldn't trade one minute of knowing his word, of memorizing his word, for for anything. God's used it so much in my life. And yes, he does want me to suffer hardship 
with him. You know, the scripture is so real. God's word is so good. And God promises to give us understanding in everything. But we have to read, study, listen to, and apply the word of God. Remember when I mentioned to you earlier about Paul's heart from Romans chapter 10? In verse 13, he says this, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And then in verse 17, he says this, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word of Christ So the question once again becomes, do you know the word of Christ? Do I know the word of Christ? And I want to tell you that the importance that you and I place on God's word has a direct effect on our lives. The importance you and I place on God's word reveals how much you want to know God. The importance you place on God's word reveals how much you love him. You know, do you know one of the main reasons God gave us his word? so that we can have intimacy with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is where we find God, and our greatest need is to know him. And we cannot know him if we do not know his word. He gave us his word so that we could know him. That's how we get to know know him. But why do we look in so many other places? I mean, really, why? You know, in John 8, Jesus said this to those Jews who had believed him. He said this, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth, y'all, is found in the word of God. But some of us are not free because we don't know the truth. You know, and our world doesn't want you to know the truth. They just want you to know whatever you perceive the truth to be. But remember, the Satan, he's the liar. There's no truth in him. I mean, that's what God tells us. But I want to tell you something else. On your own, you can't be obedient. On my own, I can't be obedient. On my own, I can't keep the laws of God. We are by nature disobedient. We are by nature unrighteous. We do not do what is right. We are rebellious on our own. We're independent. We're self-serving. We're self-seeking. On our own, we're powerless to meet the standard of a perfect and a holy God. We fall short. That's what the scripture tells us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. And so how can we obey God as he requires? Well, I mean, if you know the Lord, you know that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of his word. Because God tells us in his word that our acceptance before God is not based on our perfection or on our ability to keep the laws of God. Our acceptance before God is based on his mercy. I mean, I love this passage in the book of Titus where the scripture says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then he adds, these things speak 
and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, that we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I mean, think about it. He saves us according to his mercy. It is only through the blood of Jesus that we can be cleansed from all of our sin. Jesus died to pay our sin debt. Then God raised him on the third day according to the scriptures so that you and I could be reconciled to a holy God. You won't find this message out in the world. You find this message in his word. That's where you find it. So the question becomes, do you know his word? If you know his word, he's going to make you a discerning woman. You will know who to go to. I mean, you know, you will know who to listen to. You know, John tells us as a result of Jesus's teaching that many of his disciples withdrew and they were not walking with him anymore. And Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him and said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so I want to ask you, to whom will you go? As I look around this world, I can plainly see that there is nowhere else to go nowhere else to go but Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.